Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. And today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And it is my prayer that the message you are about to hear helps you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Hey, if you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. Okay. Ready? Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, if you're listening today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And my prayer is that the message you are about to hear will help you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. invite you to take your Bibles and turn back to the book of Psalm right in the middle of your Bible. You'll find the book of Psalms. Psalm 51 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. Uh, probably a familiar Psalm to many of you. Psalm 51. Go ahead and be find that in your Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible, uh, that's okay because in the seat before you right there in the book rack, you'll find a copy of the Bible. Take that Bible and find Psalm 51 with us. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you. Read it and learn about the God that loves you and desires a relationship with you. Psalm Psalm 51 is where we'll spend our time together this morning. I am very glad to be back with you. I know that Logan did a great job last Sunday morning. Very thankful for him and his ability to teach the word clearly and, and powerfully. So I know you were blessed by him, but I am glad to be back this morning. And, and, and we are continuing our journey through the Psalms. And maybe as we sang that last song, uh, those words sound a bit familiar because we studied the Psalm that that song came from a couple weeks ago, Psalm 42. And so we are enjoying this time that we're walking through these psalms and, and seeing how the different psalmists cry out to God and how God is at work in, in the lives of these psalmists in different ways. It's just been an incredible study thus far, and I hope that it's been a blessing to you. Psalm 51 is we're going to spend our time together uh, this morning. So, so I know you know this, that, that people have a tendency to do some really strange things, and, and probably you've done some strange things over the course of your life. I know I've done some strange things, and and sometimes when somebody does something strange, you know, the only question you can ask is, you know, why? Why would you do something like that, right? So I read this story about this guy who had this goal. He wanted to accomplish something that had not been accomplished in the 21st century. Years ago, somebody else had done this. And, and so he wanted to do it in his generation and in his time. This man, he, he lives in the Colorado Springs area. His name is Bob. And so what Bob decided to do is Bob decided to go to the bottom of Pikes Peak and, and, and climb 14,000 feet of that mountain. But, but here's how he wanted to ascend that mountain. The way that Bob decided to ascend the mountain, it had been done before. It's just been years before it's been done. Uh, but what Bob did is he got on his hands and knees and pushed a peanut up 14,000 feet of Pikes Peak. Great, right? So, so I got, I got a, a picture of Bob. Here's Bob right here. He took a whole CPAP machine and, and put it around his face and, and tied a, a, a spoon to his nose and took his nose and just pushed the peanut up the mountain, 14,000 feet. 
So, so I, I don't know when the last time it was that you went to the mountains, and, and, but, but, but when you're in the mountains and you're hiking, if you saw someone on their hands and knees pushing a peanut up the mountain with a spoon tied to their nose, what would you do? Call the cops? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know what you would do, but, but, but apparently um, it was a distraction to lots of people as they saw Bob on his hands and feet, uh, uh, kind of climbing that mountain, pushing a peanut along the way. And, and so people stopped and, and asked him, hey, what are you doing? Who are you? Why are you doing this? And so what Bob found out is that he couldn't get very far up the mountain without somebody stopping him and asking him what the world, in the world that he was doing. And so what Bob did is that during the day, he just kind of rested. And so he pushed the peanut up the mountain during the night. Took him seven days to get this peanut up the mountain. Seven days to ascend 14,000 feet, pushing a peanut with a spoon tied to his face. So he gets up to the mountain, he accomplishes his goal, and, 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 and he, he's there and he's celebrating and, and everybody's just, just really proud of Bob, right? Because you would be too. You're proud of Bob for having the, the courage to push a peanut up the mountain with his nose. The question is, why in the world did he do it? Who knows? Why do you do some of the strange things that you do? Who knows? But we're all asking the question, why, Bob? Why did you do that? We don't have the answer to why Bob did that, but you have some things that you've done over the course of your life that have been quite strange. I would say to you that if you are a follower of Jesus and you are striving to the best of your ability to live by faith in Jesus Christ, empowered by the Spirit of God, there are probably some people looking at you saying, why are you doing that? Why do you go to church every Sunday? Why do you live different than everybody else? Why, why do you do that? You're familiar with the passage of Scripture. In and, and, and Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said to his disciples, if, if you want to come after me, if you want to be your disciples, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Why would you do that? Why would you forsake your desires? Why would you deny what you want in this life and live for someone that you can't see or touch. Why would you do that? The answer to that question, you know. You do that, I do that, because we are convinced there is real life in denying ourselves and following this one who we might not be able to see with our physical eyes, who might, we might not be able to touch with our physical hands, but who we know is real and who died for us and rose again. That's why we do that because we believe there's life in him. But, but here's reality, denying yourself and following Jesus, do you know what that requires of you? It requires something that we don't want to talk about a whole lot because it's just not something very popular to talk about. On a Sunday like this, what we want to talk about are things like this. We want to talk about grace. Because every one of us in this room, we like grace, don't we? Grace is a good thing. We want more of it, right? We all want grace. Mercy. We, we like mercy. We all want mercy. We want as much mercy as we can get because we need it. Love. We like to talk about the love of God. We want to know that God loves us. And, and we, we are right to want to know that God loves us. But what we don't want to talk about so often is this word repentance. But if you think about it, that's what's at the heart of Luke 9, 23. That's what's at the heart of the message that Jesus came to proclaim. Believe and repent. Forsake your desires. Turn from your way of life and follow the way of the heavenly Father. Why should you repent? 
Because there's life in repentance. There's life when we turn from our sins and turn to God. You've heard that word repentance as a follower of Jesus probably a million times, right? But let me just remind you what repentance is. Repentance is a change of mind. It's changing the way that I think about God and how I live before Him. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of action. When I begin to think right about God, when I begin to think right about who I am before God, it's going to lead me to live my life in a way that honors God. That's what repentance is. It's a change of mind about who God is and how I should respond to Him that leads to a change of action. And and, and for us as followers of Jesus, when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you repented. You turned your life over to Him. You said, I'm not going to live my way. I'm going to live the way of the Father. And now as you're a follower of Jesus, do you know what you still need? Repentance. There's never a day in your life that you outgrow your need for repentance because you continue to sin. Yes, you're saved. Yes, you're a follower of Jesus. Yes, you belong to him if you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but you know it like I do. You still struggle with a sinful nature. And when you rebel against God, you need to come back to him and say, God, forgive me. I repent. I turn back to your way. What we all need is a life of repentance. And nobody knew this any better than David. You, you know David's story. Yes, he was a good king, but he messed up royally. <laughs> that was kind of funny. So, 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 and we're going to look at his mess up this morning. And we're going to look at the psalm that he writes in response to his sin. This is an incredible psalm with a terrible backstory. But what I want to show you this morning from this passage of scripture, I want to show you three characteristics of someone who is living a life of repentance. Take your Bibles and and turn to Psalm 51, if you will. Uh, It it is a a kind of a lengthy Psalm. And so let's do this. Let's read the the first um, 13 verses together. Go ahead and rise to your feet. We'll look at all of it, but let's just start with the first 13 verses. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 51. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion, completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me against you. You alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence, when you are, bla- or you are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Father, thank you for this morning and for time we have to be together in your word. Father, in this room this morning, there are those of us, well, in fact, there are all of us in this room that need to repent. There, there are, are, are sins that we're holding on to, sinful attitudes, sinful behaviors, sinful words that we need to turn from, confess to you, and choose by the power of your spirit to live a different way. And so, Father, we need to hear your voice this morning, and we trust that you're going to speak to us. And so as you speak to us, I pray that our hearts uh, will, will be soft uh, to the message that you have for us. And that we'll be a people this morning that be quick to respond to what you say to us. 
and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So we've been studying Psalms now for a while. And what we've seen in the Psalms is that, that a lot of times when you read the Psalms, uh, right there by the number, the number 51 in this case, uh, there, there, there's some italicized words. We call that a superscription. And that superscription helps to give an idea about this particular psalm. Uh, oftentimes that superscription, it just gives us the name of the author. Whether it was David, we, we've already studied a lot of the psalms of David. Or whether it's the sons of Koran, we, we've, we've, uh, excuse me, the sons of Korah. Um, not the Koran, that's something completely different, isn't it? The sons of Korah, uh, that we, we saw that the last couple of Sundays. And, and we'll look next week at a psalm by Asaph. And so these superscriptions, oftentimes they, they give us the author of the particular psalm. Uh, in some instances, like this instance, we're not only given the author, we're given some historical context. When the psalm was written, what was happening uh, that, that, that gave birth to the author writing the particular psalm. And so you see what the superscription says. For the choir director of Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. You remember the story, don't you? You find it in, in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. David was supposed to be on the battlefield, leading his soldiers to victory, but he wasn't. He was at home where he should not have been. And he gazed and he saw a woman named Bathsheba bathing and he had to have her. He, he had her brought to his house. He slept with her. She became pregnant. And then he did what a lot of us try to do when we find ourselves in the consequences of our sin. He tried to cover it up the best he could. He, he brought Bathsheba's husband off the battlefield. Uriah was his name. He, he brought him home, hoping that Uriah would go to his house and, and sleep with his wife. And so it could look like that baby that would be born was not David's son, but was Uriah's son. But Uriah just would not go home because he was faithful to his king. And he slept outside the palace, refusing to go home to be with his wife. And so David sent Uriah back to the battlefield. And when he sent Uriah back to the battlefield, he sent him with a message. Put Uriah on the front lines. And when he's on the front lines, have everybody else pull back and let Uriah be killed. And that's exactly what happened. Uriah was killed on the battlefield. That's bad. I mean, I, 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 I know that all of us are sinners, but come on now, let's just think about what David did. Here was a man of power the most powerful man in Israel, perhaps the most powerful man in the world at that time, taking advantage of his power to get the woman that he thought he had to have and then to have someone put to death. Talk about sin. This is big. There was a prophet named Nathan that, that comes to David and, and he tells David a story. And as he tells David a story, he's able to show David through that story, David's own sin. And, and there in that moment in 2 Samuel chapter 12, when David is ultimately confronted with his sin, he's heartbroken because he realizes what he has done. He has messed up and he's messed up big. He has sinned against God. Not only obviously has he sinned against God, but he's damaged some relationships. He, he now has a wife named Bathsheba. He has killed her husband. There will be a child born uh, that would ultimately die. You can imagine all the, the ramifications of his sin. In fact, this sin that David committed, it would have consequences for generations on end. It was bad. 
And so Psalm 51 is David's response to that sin when he understands what he's done. And so you come and look at what it says. You look at verse 1, and and we're going to come back to these verses in just a moment. But he says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Wash me, verse 2. But then you come to verse 3. And here's what I want to camp out for just a moment. Look at what he says in verse 3. I am conscious of my rebellion. My sin is always before me. He feels it. Just like you do sometimes. When you know that you've sinned against God, when you know that that you are outside of his will, when you know that you rebelled against God, you feel the weight of your sin. Uh, You you feel the conviction. You feel the remorse. you, You feel the guilt. David says, I feel it. It's ever before me. I know what I've done. It weighs heavy on me. Well, why did David do it? We don't know exactly why David did it, but, but you know people. You know people who've, who follow God faithfully. I mean, because you think about it, this is who David was. David was a faithful follower of God. He loved God. I mean, we read through the Psalms and you see David pouring out his heart to God. God, I trust you. I know your steadfast love. I know your mercy. I know your grace. I know you. Blessed is the man, David says in Psalm 1, who meditates on the law day and night. For in all he does, he prospers. But now David is not prospering at all. He's feeling the weight and conviction of his sin. Why did David do it? I don't know, but I I do know this, right? That he was disengaged with the mission. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. You've been there too, haven't you? Disengaged with what God has called you to do, not where you're supposed to be. He lacked accountability. After all, he was the king. The king doesn't answer to anybody but himself. And some of you lack accountability as well. And that's why you find yourself falling into sin over and over again. He took advantage of the blessings that God had given him. You know, it is possible to be so blessed by God that you begin to develop an attitude of entitlement. God, you've given me so much, but you still should give me more. You see, David lost sight in 2 Samuel chapter 11 of, of, of the privileged position that God had given him. And he chose to take advantage of his power and destroy other people with it. And now David says, I I, I see it, it's ever before me. But then you come down and look what he says. This is really interesting to me. Against you, verse four, you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. You are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Notice what he says here. Against you and you alone, God, I have sinned. Now, come on now, you, you know this. David also sinned against Bathsheba. He called a woman who was not his wife into his house and he had sex with her. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. He had Uriah put to death. He sinned against his own family. David sinned against other people. But but, but before, he, he doesn't even address that in this psalm. I know he felt the weight of that, but what David does in this psalm, he comes before God and he says, God, ultimately, my sin is against you. You put me in a prestigious position. You chose me to be king. You anointed me. You put your spirit within me. And I have rebelled against you. I have turned my back on you. I've acted treacherously towards you. I have defied the living God who created me, who loves me, who has a purpose for my life. I rebelled. I went to war, God, against your will. Against you and you alone have I sinned. 
Did David's sin have lasting ramifications against other people? Had he sinned against other people? Absolutely. But David knows in this passage that first he's got to get it right with God. He's got to make it right with the Lord who loves him. And then look what else he says. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Uh, David knows that he sinned with Bathsheba. He knows that he sinned by having Uriah killed. But this isn't the only time that David sinned. As David reflects on what he's done, he thinks back over the course of his life. And he says, what? I'm a sinner. And that's who you are too. We're in the same position as David. That every one of us, we were born into sin. When Adam and Eve fell into sin in the garden, their sin nature was passed on to every single one of us. I don't have to tell you this. You know this. You know it's true. But just go ahead and tell you again. You don't have to teach someone how to sin, do you? Because it comes naturally. That is the sinful nature within each and every one of us. But you do have to learn how to what? To obey, you see? David knows that he's sinful and has been sinful since birth. So, so just, just see for a moment what David does here, right? What David does here is he just acknowledges who he is. He knows who he is. He begins to take responsibility for who he is. Now, just let me show you this. Just the first characteristic of, of someone who is repentant. You know who you are. Notice again what David doesn't do. Doesn't deny And you can't deny your sin either. You can't look to a holy God and say, God, I didn't do it. God, I'm innocent. God, I I, I didn't do anything wrong. That's just not true because you know like I do what the Bible teaches us. Romans 3.23, they all have sinned. All means you. It means me. It means everybody, right? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. We've all rebelled against God. You can't deny that. You also can't watch this. You can't rationalize it either. That's what we want to do when we, when we sin, we mess up, when we rebel against God, we want to say something like, well, but you just don't know my circumstances. You see, I, I was born into this kind of situation and because of that, I mean, I just can't help it. I mean, if, if you knew how hard my life was right now, you'd understand why I did it. If you knew what someone else did to me, you'd understand why I hold on to this bitterness. We begin to rationalize. We also try to do what sometimes? Blame other people. I know I'm suffering from that addiction to pornography, but if my wife would just show me a little more attention, right? I know I shouldn't have yelled at my kids last night. I know I lost my temper and I, and I just went, went off on them, but, but if you just knew how they were acting up, begin to blame. Just notice in this passage of scripture that David does none of that. In this passage, he is a model of repentance. God, it is me. I did it. I'm at fault. I can't blame someone else. I can't rationalize it. I did it. And for some of us in this room, it is pastime that we own up to our own sin and just be honest without trying to rationalize, without trying to deny, without trying to blame someone else and just come before God and say, God, it's me. I messed up. I sinned. I rebel. But, but notice what else takes place in this passage. David, one, he knows who he is and, and a repentant person, right? You know who you are as well. But also think about this. David knows what he needs. And a repentant person knows what he or she needs as well, right? You know who you are. 
and you know what you need. Now, now this is really interesting. Now come back up to verse one and look at what it says. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love. Or you come down and you look at verse two, completely wash away my guilt. Come down to verse six. You desire integrity. Teach me wisdom. Verse seven, purify me. Verse eight, let me hear joy and gladness. Just, just notice what David does not do here. He doesn't do what so many of us try to do sometimes when we're in our mess. He doesn't try to negotiate with God. He doesn't try to bargain with God, right? He doesn't try to fix it himself. You see what I'm saying? Because oftentimes that's what we'll do when we find ourselves in that mess that we've caused because of our own rebellion against God, we'll try to fix it ourselves. We'll start to, to negotiate a bit. Maybe negotiate with God. Well, God, I tell you what, I promise I'll never do this again. And just to prove it to you, I'll go to church every single Sunday. If we just forget about this, God, I'll, I'll, I'll do my part. Right? I'll go to church every Sunday. I'll, 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 I'll read my Bible a little bit more. I mean, I'll do those things, God. If, if you can just, just, just overlook this one time. Or God, if you'll fix this mess I made, then I promise I'll do this or I'll do better over here. And we start to bargain and negotiate, right? God, I, I promise this time it will be different. David doesn't do that. He doesn't try to fix it himself. He doesn't try to negotiate. Why? Because you don't negotiate with God. God's God. He sets the standard. He tells us from his word how it's to be. You see what I'm saying? You don't negotiate. You submit to his word. You see what I'm saying? And so, so here's David. He doesn't bargain. He doesn't negotiate. Instead, now watch this. What does he do? He throws himself at the mercy and grace of God. God, I can't fix this, but you can. You can fix me. You can change my heart. You can create in me a clean heart. You can do a work inside of me. God, I can't do that work. I can't change my heart. I can't make myself right. I can't make it better. But God, you can do a work within me. You can forgive me. You can make me right before you. You can cleanse me. And so he completely throws himself at the mercy of God. Listen, this gets real interesting. You come down and look what it says, for example, in verse seven. Purify me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Circle that word hyssop. I don't know when the last time you saw a hyssop branch was. I don't know if you got them growing in your backyard or not, but, 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 but we don't read about hyssop a whole lot. But here's what's going on. This is an allusion back to Exodus chapter 12. Do you remember the story when the angel of death passed over the homes of the Hebrew people and the angel of death killed the firstborn sons of the, of the, the uh, Egyptian people as a plague on Pharaoh and the land of Egypt. And do you remember when they put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost? If you go back to Exodus chapter 12, you know what they put the blood on the doorpost with? Hyssop branches. I don't know if David understands exactly what he's saying. I mean, he's inspired by the Spirit when he rises, so maybe he does. I, I don't know what exactly was going on through David's mind. I don't know if he understood all the theological implications of what he was writing. But essentially what David's writing is this, right? God, I need to be under the blood of the Lamb. And so do you. And so sometime, some years, some centuries after David would write these words, God would send his Lamb his son, his son who was perfect in every way, who was innocent, 
who never sinned, his son who would go to a cross and die as our sacrificial lamb, who would rise again three days later from the grave so that what, church? So that every single one of us, because of God's grace, because of his love, because of his mercy, we could be what, church? Under the blood of the lamb. You see, Jesus paid the price that we could not pay. When I was in New Orleans this week, we, we arrived in New Orleans to see Stacy's parents last Friday night. And I promise you this happened. As soon as we got there, the AC went out. Welcome to New Orleans, right? And I don't know what you know about New Orleans, but New Orleans, it really is the armpit of America, right? I mean, it's just, it is hot. It is sweaty. I think the average temperature there year round is like 115 degrees with 103% humidity. It is always hot in New Orleans, right? And so I think we went to bed on Friday night. Uh, the AC wasn't working. It had gotten up in the house. It was 87 degrees when we went to bed in the house. It was hot. And so there we are, you know, laying our own pools of sweat, everything sticky. It's miserable. We, Stacy's parents, they called out the, the AC guy on a Saturday which meant, you know, the extra emergency charge and all that. And so he went and he looked at it and, and he came back and he, he, he came back with these words. You know what he said? Whole thing's got to be replaced. Right? That's a good day in New Orleans. $7,000 later, there was a new AC. What Stacy's dad did, he got the checkbook, he wrote the check. Why? Because you have to have AC in New Orleans. No matter the cost, right? And thankfully, Stacy's dad had money in the bank to write that check. Because if he did not, we'd have gotten the car and come on back home, right? <laughs> but he had money in the bank to write that check, right? He wrote that check, $7,000. Within a couple of days, with AC back on, it was glorious. He wrote the check. But, but I want to tell you this. You cannot write the check to pay your sin debt. You can't. That's right. But Jesus, the one who is innocent, who never sinned, he erased your sin debt by dying in your place and rising again from the dead. Do you see? David is saying, I need to be brought under the blood of the lamb. And you do too, but let's go on. We got to move quickly. David also said, look what he says in verse 10. God, create a clean heart from me. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, you know this as a follower of Jesus, as a, a follower of Jesus, saved by God's grace, a New Testament follower of Jesus. The spirit of God resides in you. God will not take his spirit from you. But the Old Testament was a little bit different, right? In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people for a season, for a time to accomplish the work of the Father. And so David's crying out, God, I want to stay in fellowship with your Spirit. God, restore me, restore me, restore me. Notice just a couple of things. You know who you are. A repentant person also, you know what you need. You need to be humble. That's what David exemplifies in this passage, right? He doesn't bargain with God. He doesn't negotiate with God. He just comes for God and says what? God, please, you have to do a work in my life. I have messed this up. I confess it to you. I, I, I want to see change in my life, but you've got to bring about that change. That is humility. But he's not only humble, he's hopeful. Let me show you real quick what he says. You come down, he, he says again, purify me with hyssop. Let me hear joy and gladness. Create a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore the joy of my salvation, verse 12. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways. God, I mean, excuse me, David is not only humble, he's hopeful. He believes that God's gonna actually do this, that if he throws himself at the mercy and grace of God, God is going to do a work of restoration in his life. God is going to give him joy again. And not only is God gonna give him joy again, God is going to give him purpose again. Look again at verse 13. I will teach the rebellious your ways. I'm gonna, 
I'm going to share my story. I'm going to share my story about how bad I messed up and how you are gracious to clean me up, right? And so, so David is not only humble, he's hopeful. He really does believe that God's going to do a work in him. And you can believe that too. That when you cry out in repentance and when you say, God, forgive me, change me, that God really does that. And in that, there's life. Because here's reality, right? Here's reality. Why don't you and I live lives of repentance? Why is it that we hold on to sin? Why is it that we hold on to bitterness? Why is it that we hold on to addiction? Why is it that we hold on to anger? Why is it that we hold on to sinful attitudes? I'll tell you why it is. Because you believe in your warped way of thinking and my warped way of thinking, we believe there's life in bitterness. We believe there's life in anger. We believe there's life in sexual immorality. We believe there's life in evil. We believe that because we keep doing it. That's the evidence that you believe it, right? But, but let me just tell you, I've been at this for a long time. I've been following Jesus since I was a child. I've been a pastor for a number of years now. And as a pastor, let me just be honest with you. No one has ever come to my office and said, Pastor Tommy, I'm bitter. I'm bitter. And it feels so good. Right? Nobody has ever come to my office and said, Tommy, I am so angry. I'm angry at my, my, my spouse. I'm angry at my kids. I'm angry at the world. And there's so much freedom in this anger. Nobody does that. Nobody comes to my office and says, you know what? I've been eating up with this addiction. Oh, and I just want more of it. I just want more of this addiction. I just, I, 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 there's so much joy in this addiction. Nobody does that. No, no, when, when, when people come and they sit down and talk with me about their bitterness, about their anger, about their addiction, what they come saying, it's killing me. It's killing me. I, I don't want it anymore. I gotta find a way to get rid of this bitterness. Why, why? Because sin does not lead to life. But repentance, what David is doing, it does. Because here's what I've also heard over and over again, and this is my testimony too, Right? I found the grace of Jesus Christ. He has forgiven me of my sins and I have been set free. Do you see? The reason why we don't repent of our sins and the reason why we hold on to the anger and the bitterness is we simply oftentimes just don't believe that life really is found when you turn from sin and you choose to live God's way. But let me tell you, church, from experience, let me tell you, church, my own testimony, there really is life when you let go of sin and you choose God's way for your life. And David knows this. That's why he's crying out. He knows what he needs. He needs this grace. And he's humble for God and he's hopeful. But he also knows, and we're done with this, he knows what God desires. Come up, let me show you. You come and you read um, verse 16. You don't want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart. David says what? I could go to the tabernacle every single day and offer sacrifices, but that's not what you want. I, I could go to church every Sunday, right? But ultimately, that's not what God wants. I, 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 could, I could go to, on mission trips left and right, but ultimately, that's not what God wants. I could, I could serve here and serve there over and over again, but ultimately, that's not what God wants. 
When we were in New Orleans this past week, you know, Stacy's from New Orleans. Uh, her parents uh, have lived there for, for years and years and years and years. And she grew up right there in the New Orleans area. I lived there for a decade when I was going through seminary. And, uh, you know, since we've been married uh, for these 14 years, we go back and forth in New Orleans quite a bit. And so the boys have been there a lot now. And so, so we've seen it. Right, we, we've been in New Orleans, we've been there, we've done that. You know, we, we've, we've gone to the plantations, we've gone to the French Quarter, we, we've, we've done it all, right? We've been to the restaurants, we've done it. And so when we go back I and mean, we're trying to find something to do, what can we do that we haven't done before? Years ago, we uh, took the boys when they were younger on the streetcar, you know the streetcar, like the trolley in New Orleans, but I had this, this great idea. Let's do a full day of touring New Orleans by a streetcar. That sounds like a lot of fun, right? And so, so think about it. A city tour on public transportation. I mean, it was, it was amazing, right? Because, because here's what I found out as I was doing some research. You could buy these passes for a day. And so, so an adult pass, $3. A kid pass, $1. For $8, $8, right? And I'm cheap, $8. We could see all of New Orleans by either public bus, streetcar, or ferry. Oh, man. So, so I, I told my wife this bright idea that I had, and and she was a little bit skeptical because I don't know if you know this or not, but, but, but streetcars are old. Like they were built around the same time as the Nina Pinta Santa Maria and, and they, they don't have air conditioning and all that kind of stuff. And, and so, so, you know, she was thinking she's gonna be hot all day long. Um, Luke just did not want to do it. He's like, no dad, not, that's not for me. Don't want to go. And he, he just did not want to go. Hudson, however, oh, Hudson was so excited, like a streetcar. What a great day. And so me and Hudson, we were pumped about the streetcar. So we finally went and Stacy acquiesced. Luke went along because he had no other choice. And, and so we went for a streetcar day and we got on the streetcar. Actually, I got the picture of us getting on. We were right here getting ready to get on the streetcar. It's going to be so much fun. We got on the streetcar on St. Charles Avenue and, and rode for about an hour down to uh, uh, the Canal Street, got off on Canal Street, walked down and got on the city ferry and got on the ferry and rode on the Mississippi River. That sounds pretty cool, right? You know how long a ferry ride is on the Mississippi River? About 30 seconds. So we got off, <laughs> we got off the ferry on the other side and we got off on the ferry in, in Algiers, Louisiana. Do you know what's in Algiers, Louisiana? Nothing. So we got off the ferry and we turned around and got right back on the ferry, rode for 30 seconds back over. And, and so, I don't know, for hours we were on the ferry and the streetcar. Just Stacy refused to take the public bus. I didn't know why. I, I wanted to do the public bus, but she wouldn't do that. So it was a streetcar and the ferry. We got, off the, we got off the streetcar later in the afternoon after we had been riding around for several hours on the streetcar. And, 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 and Stacy, you could just see the, the sweat pouring down her face, right? Her hair is disheveled. And, and the boys, I mean, Hudson still got a smile on his face. He was happy the whole time. And, and, and you see Hudson there. You, he was real happy. Go on the next slide. This, this was Luke most of the time. Going, that was Luke just kind of facing the hands the whole time. But we, 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 we got off and, 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 and my, my oldest son, Luke, oh, this is what he said when he got off the ferry or excuse me, off the streetcar, getting ready to get back in the car in our day. This is what he said. Dad, that was more fun than I thought it would be. Right? Yes. And then Stacy said something like this. It wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Like, that's all I wanted to hear, right? I just wanted to hear that you had a good time. I just wanted to hear that. Well, you see, when Stacy and Luke got on hours earlier, it was because of what? They were just trying to shut me up and just do something I wanted to do. They had no desire to be there. They just what? They just were going along for the ride because it was a day I had planned out. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, for this husband, for this father, just to hear the words, oh, daddy, that was more fun than I thought it would be. Or, honey, that wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. 
my heart lit up with joy. I knew it was going to be great. I knew it was going to be fun. I knew those things. Now, I wish, right, they'd have just listened to me to begin with, right? You know what I'm saying? And I tell you all that to tell you this. What God wants to hear from you, what God desires to hear from you is what? God, I'm broken before you. My sin, I see the weight of it. God, I just want you to forgive me. I just want you to create in me a clean heart. Notice what David says. God, you don't desire sacrifices. It's not religious obligation. It's not just going along to get along. It's not just showing up because that's what I'm supposed to do. It's, it's not just, just being at a church, sitting in a chair because I, 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 somebody told me to do that. No, no, God, what you desire for me, you desire for me to have this heart that says to you, God, I see it. I see the weight of my sin and I'm broken before you. God, forgive me. Just like on that day, what I longed to hear from my, my family was, this was fun. What God desires to hear from you is, God, my heart is broken. Do a work within me. I see the weight of my sin. And here's what I know right now in this room, for some of us, your sin's heavy. You know it, but you've been ignoring it. You're grasping, you're holding on for dear life to things that you know are harming your soul. Things that you know are hindering your relationship with God. Things that you know are also damaging other relationships that you choose to hold on because for some reason you think there might be a little bit of life in that thing you're holding on to, but God is saying it and you know it from your own experience. There's no life there. Life is in Christ. Life is in turning to Him. Life is in following Him by faith. You see what I'm saying? And so this morning, what God desires from you, follower of Jesus, is God desires for you just to come before Him and say, God, I see my sin. It is ever before me. My heart is broken before you. God, please forgive me. So what do you do this morning? Just a few things. We're done. One, and we already talked about this. If you're not a follower of Jesus, realize that Jesus is the way to our relationship with the Father. For some of us this morning, it's time for the very first time to give our lives to the one who died in our place and rose again three days later so we can be brought under his blood. And this morning, for some of us in this room, it's time to repent, to turn from our sins once and for all and turn to Jesus for salvation. In a few moments, you're going to have an opportunity to do so. Now, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, who are walking in unconfessed sin, holding on to it, even though we know better, listen, it's time to repent. Whatever it looks like for you, it's to repent, to restore fellowship because you know it. You know that, that your relationship with God is hindered by that sin. You know that that sin is hindering your relationship with others. And so to restore fellowship, it's time to repent, to confess it, to say, God, I did it. I take responsibility. It's me I'm turning back to. Or think about this, repent as an act of worship. It honors the Lord when you repent, and, and here's what I know, and I don't know if you know this or not, but, but here's what I think I know. Some of you came to worship this morning with your mind already made up as to how you want to see God work in your life. Make sense? You came to church this morning. God, I want your help over here. I want to hear your voice over here. I need some wisdom in this area. I'd like for you to do this for me today. But all this over here, that sin I'm holding on to, if you'd keep your hands off of that, I'd appreciate it. You see what I'm saying? And some of us came to this room this morning already determined to walk out the same way we came in. 
to not allow God to search our hearts, to not allow God to bring that sin to service so we might deal with it and turn from it. You chose this morning the good things you wanted, right? But you didn't want that repentance because that doesn't sound so good to you. But can I just tell you, there's nothing more joy-giving than turning back to Jesus and saying, God, forgive me. Repent as an act of worship. Repent while you study the word. When we're in the word together as a faith family on Sunday mornings, when you're in the word in your small group, when you're in the word as an individual on a daily basis in your, in your time with the Lord, when you're studying the word, you're studying the word with that desire to see God change you from his word. As you're reading the word, you should be praying, God, help me to see from this passage of scripture how my life needs to change, what sins I need to confess, how I need to repent, right? God has given us his word to change us as we study his word. And think about this, repent in community. James 5, verse 16, James writes, and he says what? Confess your sins one to another. Nobody wants to do that. Because if I confess my sin to you, you might hold it against me. If I confess my sin to you, you might gossip about me. Come on now. What the body of Christ is supposed to be, is supposed to be a place where sinful, broken people can come and say, here are my struggles. Help me. It is not supposed to be a place of judgment. It is not supposed to be a place where we cast further hurt on people. It's a place of help. And, and, and if you're not in a community of believers within this church that can help you, let me encourage you to find that community. I'll be glad to help you find that community. And if you're in a community of believers in this church that has hurt you, I apologize. And I'd love to talk to you about that because I'd love for you to give us a second chance. And I'd love to, 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 to help our church be a place, not of hurt, but of healing. But that healing comes when we make a decision as a body of Christ to be open and honest with each other and bear each other's burdens and say, hey, here's my sin, here's my struggle. I need you to pray for me and help me. I need you to come around me with accountability, you see? Here's what I know this morning. I know this morning as we end our time together, there's some of us in this room that God is calling to Repentance. For some of us this morning, God is, is reminding us of those sins that are in our lives we're desperately clinging to. And this morning, it might be that God is, is, is allowing you in this moment to feel the weight of your sin. That right now, you are beginning to feel that brokenness that comes from the Spirit. You know your life is a mess. And I'm just going to ask you, follower of Jesus, to confess it to God. To turn. To repent. How do you do that? Well, it starts with that. It starts with that confession. And maybe as we end our time together, you just want to gather around front, not because there's anything magical about coming down front, but just as a, a symbol to you of your own commitment. Maybe you want to come down front and just in, in, in your time of prayer before the Lord, confess, God, here's my sin. It is before me. Cleanse me and help me to live a different way. And maybe what you need to do after you confess to God is a Christian you trust, confess it to that Christian that you trust, that Christian that you can trust can begin to hold you accountable and help you find a path through the Spirit of God in the Word of God. 
And then it's making some choices, some deliberate choices to put some boundaries around you. It's making some deliberate choices to say, okay, by the Spirit of God, here are the steps I am going to take to begin living a different way. I don't know exactly what repentance looks like for you this morning, but here's what I do know. For many of us in this room, God is calling you right now to deal with some sin, to repent. And for some of you, it's, it's sin that you've held on for years and years and years. It's sinful attitudes. It's sinful behaviors. It's, it's bitterness. It's anger. It's whatever. God's just saying, come on, turn from it and find life in repentance. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus. There is a Savior who shed his blood for you. And in the corners of this room are two crosses. And maybe this morning you will make that decision once and for all to give your life to Jesus, to experience salvation. There are going to be people at those crosses ready to pray for you and receive you as we have a time invitation. When you go to one of those crosses, and this morning, tell that person that you've are, is, who's at that cross, I want to give my life to Jesus today. And that person will help you begin life with Jesus. If you're watching online, you're going to see a number on the screen. Uh, text the name Jesus to that number, and we'll reach out to you. And today, we'll help you begin a relationship with Jesus. I'll be down front. I'd love to pray for you as well. But as God leads you this morning, you respond to His voice by giving your life to Him, by turning from sin, by choosing to live a life of repentance. Father, thank you for this morning, and thank you for time to be together to worship. Father, as we end our time together, I pray for that person who might be in this room who's never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus, that today that person would turn to you, would cry out to you and, and, and ask you to save their souls as they believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus for the atonement of sin. Father, if there's people in this room who are holding on to sin, Father, I pray that what would happen in these moments as we end our time together I pray that what would happen would be just brokenness over our sin. That we would desire you more than we desire the sin that we hold on to. That we would desire to live in, in, in right fellowship with you more than we desire to live in the darkness. So Father, I don't know how you're working in every heart in this room, but I know you are. And so I, I ask God that, that as we end our time together, that people in this room, will not ignore your voice, but will respond to your voice. And so, Father, whatever that looks like for us, just help us now to be obedient to you, I ask. And ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You rise to your feet as we have time invitation. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you.